0: good evening, good afternoon,
1: or good night. However and whenever it is, you may be listening. Thank you for stopping into another fan-flippin'-tabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast on this lovely, lovely Friday post-NBA Finals Game 2, and you already know that our buddy House of Phoenix Suns is going to be here for today's show, so we will get to that in a little bit, as well as talking about Russell Wilson, because yesterday we had our podcast on the Seattle Seahawks, which you can also download and follow along with the regular podcast here on Take It Easy, but I still got some more thoughts on Russell Wilson. that we, We've talked about this before, but I wanted to, to kind of bring it back here. On the podcast. So we'll get to that in a little bit as well. But first, let's talk about the NBA Finals because, full disclosure, we are coming at you right after game two of the finals. The Phoenix Suns won, and something that we talked about with Cam on DSD previewing game two was that this wasn't a must win game for the Bucks, but it makes life that much more difficult for them if they lose. Well, after that performance by Giannis Antetokounmpo, I'm starting to feel like hope is is starting to fade for the Milwaukee Bucks. And I, as a Giannis stan, presently recording this podcast, wearing my new Zoom Freak 2 Nike shoes, I am not feeling it right now. I am feeling defeated for all of the Giannis stands everywhere, and by extension, Bucks Nation, And uh, the Deer District, which has looked so sad for the past two games. Just so sad in the Deer District. But I will say that that Game 2, that third quarter of Game 2, was the best basketball I have seen the entire playoffs. And that that encapsulates Damian Lillard's epic Game 5 against the Nuggets, where he had like 20 points. He scored 23 of the last 25 points for the um. Portland Trailblazers and the last 17, and the game went to double overtime, and all that craziness. That third quarter of game two of this game of the NBA Finals was the best basketball that I have seen, and it took only in desperation, it took being down 11 points at half, it took Giannis. Giannis having 14 points in the first half and having Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday shoot 6-for-26 in the first half. It took all of that for the Bucks to finally start letting Giannis take over and get DeAndre Ayton in foul trouble, which we'll talk about with House of Phoenix Suns more specifically. But the part from the Milwaukee Bucks that made it super, super sad was... Their offense looked so good when it ran through Giannis, and this was the thing that gave me hope in the series, because we talked about on Wednesday with our buddy House of Phoenix Suns, if this series ends up being just a shootout between the Milwaukee Bucks and the Phoenix Suns and becomes a shootout between Chris Paul and Devin Booker, this series, all, if all the Suns have to do is win three out of six games. I like their odds because Chris Paul and Devin Booker are better players than Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday, regardless of how poorly Drew Holiday has played or the fact that he missed seven damn layups, seven goddamn layups in that game. And those are just what I counted. I counted seven damn missed layups by Drew Holiday. Even with that, It still felt like the the hope was Giannis. The the, the best basketball player in the world, the two-time MVP, and sure, you can argue Kevin Durant, but they're basically equals. The best basketball player in the world could go nuclear and single-handedly win games. And the, the Phoenix Suns were so good offensively that it just didn't matter. That Giannis broke the record for the last 25 years for most points in a single quarter of an NBA Finals. 20 points in the third quarter was the record previously set by Kobe Bryant and LeBron James. Giannis broke that record with 20 points in the third quarter for the Milwaukee Bucks. He took 18 free throws and the entire team took 22. Think about that. The Bucks took 22 free throws, and Giannis had 18 of them. He got Ayton in foul trouble. He got Jay Crowder in foul trouble. For a little bit, he was going to get Devin Booker in foul trouble, but the Bucks didn't draw enough fouls in the fourth quarter to get other guys in foul trouble. And it only took desperation for the Bucks to start filtering the offense through their best player. Drew Holiday came out guns blazing in the first half of this game. And it was the weirdest first quarter ever because the Bucks played awesome in the first and the, the Suns just hit eight three-pointers in the first quarter. Like, their only non-three-pointer was a Chris Paul mid-range jumper because Brooke Lopez faded back to the paint. But the Bucks played so well in the first quarter and it got erased by the Suns having a historically great first quarter with eight threes, but only scoring 26 points. And then in the second quarter, they the Suns got their lead, and for some reason, through dominating Giannis' performances and four Conaton threes and Chris Middleton hitting a couple nice three-pointers, even though him and Drew, Drew Holiday were just complete disappointments, through all of that, it still felt like, okay, there is some good juju building up here. There is some good luck. That the Bucks are, you know, they've chipped away from 5 to 6, and then it got to 6, and it's like, okay, now Devin Booker hits a shot. Okay, now Chris Paul's going to hit a shot. Cut it to 7, now Devin Booker's going to hit a 3 right in Chris Middleton's face. And then, oh, here's Devin Booker, 3-pointer. Now it's a 13-point game. Now you're not going to be able to come back. It's just every time the Bucks got close, the Suns had a counter And We'll talk more about the Suns here with our friend, House of Phoenix Suns, but it's just been nagging, nagging at me, was that they were so damn close, so damn close, they got Aiton into foul trouble, and it's just every single time, they just kept hitting him with a counterpunch, so if Giannis can have that historically great game, and drop 42-12, and 12 and that not be enough, I... I I'm rolling with Suns in five or Suns in six or something like that. If if they can't win on that historically great performance, and one of the things we talked about after game one was can the Suns sustain 81 points from Aiton, Chris Paul, and Devin Booker, which they did in game one, and it's it felt sustainable even if the numbers seem not sustainable. Well, now you can sub in Michael Bridges and say Chris Paul, Devin Booker, and Michael Bridges. Tonight had a combined 81 points. You can't make that up. 81 points between the three of them. The same exact number that DeAndre Ayton, Devin Booker, and Chris Paul had in the last game. They scored 81 points. Suns offense is humming. I had said, could that be repeatable? Lo and behold, they just repeated it. So I'm I'm not feeling great for Milwaukee right now. Um, if Giannis can give you that performance and still never really be in the game, is hope lost? Starting to feel it. Hope is going to be lost here for the Milwaukee Bucks because the Suns have just been so damn efficient on offense. And maybe the Suns will start to regress, but... Again, I felt it was sustainable in Game 1, and I am reaffirmed after Game 2 that this is a sustainable scoring domination that the Phoenix Suns are having. And by the way, can we give out co-MVPs of the NBA Finals? Co-Finals MVP like we did to Shaq and Kobe? Can we give it to Devin Booker and Chris Paul? Because both of them are playing, like, top 10 players in the league right now.
2: Hello. Hey, what's going on?
1: What is going on with you? Man. Other than, of course, the Phoenix Suns being two games away from an NBA championship that feels low-key kind of inevitable now. I, I know you don't want to say it, but I, I will say that it feels low-key kind of inevitable.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't want to jinx anything. I don't want to get too too confident because I know the Bucks are good at home. But man, it, like I said last time I was on here. It doesn't feel like they can stop us in any way. Like they changed some stuff up. They held us, they held us in the first quarter, but we, we changed things and, and we made them pay, pay with it.
1: That was the part that was so weird, right? So let's start in the first quarter here and work our way down because this, this was one of the best basketball games. Like it wasn't like super exciting at the end, but just in terms of the quality of play, that was some of the best basketball I've seen all playoffs in game two. So from the beginning, the Bucs had an awesome strategy at the beginning. It was like, OK, Holiday's going to shoot with volume and Giannis is going to get in the paint and they're going to just score everything within three feet of the basket. Well, it was working. And then the Suns had eight three-pointers in the first quarter, which was just ridiculous because they were shutting him down except and shutting down the mid-range game except okay now Tory Craig's gonna hit a three and now Cam Johnson's gonna hit a three and Jay Crowder's gonna hit two threes and Booker's gonna hit a three and like the the Suns just went ridiculously like the, the Bucks scored everything within three feet and the Suns hit
2: everything from the yeah. three-point
1: line in the and, first and quarter. I was like
2: watching it from my couch i was like stop shooting threes because eventually we're gonna get cold but we never really got cold <laughs> so i was like, okay this is keeping us in the game because we can't play defense and we can't get into the paint so i guess we gotta settle for these jumpers and and we were making them and i guess the bucks game plan to start off the game was just like okay make them make shots and we did so then and they it worked That's Yeah, the
1: crazy part <laughs> the for the bucks it worked and yeah it just didn't matter. And then the second quarter. So now we get to the second quarter and that's just the sun's dominating. Like the Suns had been doing like Giannis goes out of the game. Drew holiday misses like four straight layups. Like the sun's like outscored him by like 16 in the quarter, like just dominated them in the, in the uh, second quarter.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Second quarter was, it felt like a a different game from the first quarter because like drew holiday, first quarter he shot a ton of shots and he he, i mean he continued to do that in in the second quarter um but yeah i I don't really know how to express how i'm feeling right now i'm a little happy so i'm not really expressing my thoughts very well but yeah
1: and and this was it uh, was really good michael bridges time this was where michael bridges just kind of took over in the game and there'll be a fun stat i have towards the end about that but michael bridges kind of gets the offense rolling and the sun's like just they never look back from that point like they had a. The, I think a big part too is that the Bucs only had 16 points in the quarter, and and that's the math. But Phoenix played just excellent offensive basketball in that second quarter, the way that we saw in Game One, where they you know kind of dominated from start to finish.
2: Yeah, and, and another thing, um, like I mentioned last time I was on here, is when someone doesn't step up, like Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton didn't have as big of games as they did in Game One, especially DeAndre Ayton. Um, but oh,
1: sorry about that. Oh no, we love we love animal introductions. This is excellent. <laughs> we we've got an ultimate mascot here on the podcast. We we don't have we well we've got my cat, but we <laughs> we've got we've got a mascot here on the podcast.
2: Yeah, my dog. Uh, he was he was still excited celebrating the win as well, so he was getting a little carried away. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: yeah, and. and that second quarter was it just the
1: whole time I, I just was getting frustrated with the Bucks and then they came out in the third quarter and said it in, in one of my group chats, like that is some of the best basketball that I've seen like all year. Like going through throw it back to the bubble, throw it back to this playoffs. Like the only thing I think is close to that was Jimmy Butler's fourth quarter in game five of the finals that game where Tyler hero had like 37 points and, and helped the heat get to the finals and Damian Lillard just going unconscious. Like even those were just singly great performances in that third quarter. You had Giannis having an all time, great quarter Devin Booker playing amazing basketball and Chris Paul was just all of them were excellent. And that third quarter was unbelievable.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And especially probably for you as a neutral fan, like, watching that was probably crazy. I was getting so angry at well, Giannis, a obviously. Neutral,
1: <laughs> a, a neutral fan and a Giannis stand, Like, someone who yeah. just uh, he hitches his coattails to Giannis and is going to ride that wave for 10 years. Like, n- n- neutral fan who also loves Giannis. It's just the greatest thing ever.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. And I was just like, can someone stop Giannis, please? That's 13 straight. Like, make him miss a shot.
1: Or and, at the and, very least, like stop fouling him and hope that he misses shots. But this yes, is why it, Giannis is amazing.
2: Yeah, and he started making his free throws, so it's like there's no point of fouling him now.
1: Well that's that's the him. thing that that's the thing people don't realize is that Giannis isn't as bad at free throws as people think. Like he still shoots like sixty percent at the free throw line. He's just he's not like Ben Simmons bad. He's just not very good.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> but he, he yeah. still probably had like double the free throw percentage of Ben Simmons. So, Yeah, so no, yeah. he did for sure. Yeah, so I, I mean, there's ways that you can stop him temporarily, but you can't stop him the whole game. So it was only a matter of time before he realized he needs to take over his game because Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton aren't doing anything. So well, that's, that third the part quarter...
1: the, that's the part that made me upset was that it took Budenholzer. I mean, obviously Giannis was injured in game one. But it took Budenholzer till they were in total desperation mode to actually like say, OK, we're just going to give the ball to Giannis and just let him get in the paint every time. If they foul, they foul. That's OK, because then we'll get DeAndre Ayton in foul trouble and we'll get Jay Crowder in foul trouble. Like if they foul, they foul. That's OK. Uh, we just yeah. need Giannis to take over in this game.
2: Yeah, exactly. And that, and I mean, usually that's what the Bucks' offense was. For that game because no one else could make a shot they tried to get drew holiday involved early like like we talked about but he couldn't make a lot of shots chris middleton he had i think he made maybe one time where he made three field yeah. goals in a row um, yeah and, he was very inconsistent so i mean it's really Giannis against the suns is what it felt like a little bit
1: yeah and the one time that that Janis started taking over that was when middleton hit his like three shots in a row it was like okay Now Middleton can be Clay Thompson, just catch spot-up shooter with nobody guarding him. And now Chris Middleton can be more effective or at least hit the shots that he didn't make in the game because I think he only made one three-pointer. I think uh, him and Holiday each had one three-pointer and then Pat Connaughton had like four. But Giannis had, you know, 20 points in the quarter, which is the most in a finals game. They showed the stat. It was the most points in a finals game of the last 25 years. And
2: That's
1: it just felt like this was the part that is like, this is why I feel more confident than ever. The Suns are going to win the finals. Every time they got it to seven, Chris Paul hit a shot. Every time they got it to five, Devin Booker would hit a three right in Chris Middleton's face. <laughs> yeah. And every time they cut it to seven, Devin Booker hits a shot just every time they got it close the Suns could get you a bucket like whether it was Chris Paul or Booker in the fourth quarter but in the third quarter it was a healthy balance of both it was just like go get me a bucket and every single time it felt like they went and got a bucket whenever the
2: Bucks cut it close yeah and like like you said doing that their momentum is just always stopped and there was a time where the Bucks seemed to be on a roll. I think it was in the first quarter, second quarter. And then Mike Budenholzer called the timeout for, but really no reason. Like they were up by five. We had just missed a shot. They were on a roll. And then he called the timeout. I was like, okay, thank you. Thanks for calling the timeout. <laughs> and then that's, we, we figured it out. And then we ended up finishing the quarter, like down one or something, end of the first. And then from there, obviously we were making shots and they couldn't, they couldn't really get a rhythm going because everything they did, we would just match it.
1: And that was the crazy part because they took Aiton out of the game, basically. Like, as soon as Giannis started taking over, Aiton got in foul trouble and he couldn't really be a part of the offense. And they, they couldn't risk him taking charges. And, and what was weird about the offense after that was it was a lot of the, the Bucks game. It was a lot of ISO ball with Chris Paul yeah. and Devin Booker. And Shaking, who were supposed to be really good defenders, like I remember there was one play where Devin Booker... I, I was like 60 something to 50 something. And Devin Booker had like a fading free throw line jumper over the defensive player of the year over Giannis. Yeah. And he just buries it from the free throw line. I'm like, this dude is like unconscious against what, I mean, the bucks weren't as good this year. They were like ninth in, in points allowed this year. So they, they like weren't as good as past years, but these guys are supposed to be really good defenders. And Chris Paul and, and Devin Booker just keep hitting shots like
2: right in their faces. I know. It didn't seem like they even noticed it. It's like he's shooting wide open is what it felt like, because like, even if you look at him in the eyes, he's just looking straight at the room. He doesn't seem phased by anything that's going on around him.
1: Yeah. And, and it was so strange because it was so different than the way that they got to 120 in the last game. It was, it was so different the way they were in the offense. So you know, they, they, it was like a seven-point game, and then they cut it to. I think they got it to five at one point, but then you get to the fourth quarter, and it's just time for Devin Booker to just go unconscious, and Devin yeah. Booker to put away the the Bucks.
2: Yeah, and as soon as uh, Devin Booker scored thirty, I knew I knew we were gonna win because Suns player got thirty points. We're gonna win. That's 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 how it goes. I was loving that stat that they were throwing around that the
1: Suns are twelve and zero in the playoffs when they have a double digit lead at any point. Oh yeah and i was laughing at that throughout the third quarter cuz i'm like yeah they're 12 and 0 but they've never played giannis but they've <laughs> they've never they've never played a player that good who can like give you a bucket automatically and for them to not only win that game but to, it was never close they never they won got again by double digits. Five. yeah, yeah. They, they they held the lead the entire like after the first quarter they held it the entire way for them, to, for them to never trade leads at any point in that game was – it was unbelievable. Something I, not necessarily unbelievable. It was just I – that's not the reputation I had for Chris Paul and Devin Booker as just automatic go-get-you-a-bucket, guys.
2: Yeah, and that's something um, that I, I really noticed this season with Chris Paul is that once we got the lead, we would always hold on to it. Like the season before Chris Paul – was there, the season of the bubble, but before the bubble, um, we would be up going into the fourth quarter, sometimes up by 10, and we would end up losing. It's, and that I, that maybe happened twice this year, the total. So it was something that was, like, we pointed out, Monty Williams is like, okay, we got to figure this out. And then Chris Paul comes in, and he knows what to do. He knows how to take over the fourth quarter. So once we get a lead, it, it's really hard to take it from us, is what it seems like. And it was so strange because –
1: if I were a Bucs fan, and, and to be fair, I probably was rooting for the Bucs more than the Suns, even as a neutral observer. Like, that's got to be so frustrating. It's just every time it gets close, De- Chris Paul hits a jumper in your face or Devin Booker hits a three-pointer in your mouth. It was every time they got close. I don't think – I mean, because they never got closer than five. Like, they never got it within one possession, even though Giannis had, what, like 30-something points in, yeah. the, in the second half, 28 points in the second yeah. half.
2: Yeah, and and that's got to be demoralizing for Giannis. Like, everything you do is just being matched, and your teammates, they're playing good defense on them. You can't ask for much better defense sometimes, but like we said, they're just unfaced by the defense is what it seems.
1: Yeah, and offensively, it's just frustrating because it's like, yeah, Middleton's going to have bad games, but Drew Holiday, Drew Holiday, like, I I was counting throughout him. Like, he missed, like, seven layups in that game, like, contested layups, but, like, seven missed layups. And that one is really – like, that one you can look at that and be like, what are, what are we doing
2: out here? Yeah, I was shocked. <laughs> I was really shocked by Drew Holiday. I mean, I, I feel bad for Giannis a little bit, but it is what it is. I mean, it's his first time in the finals. LeBron did it. But he had a team that, that he took to the finals, that w- and he didn't get a lot of help his first time in the finals. Uh, so I guess it's just something that generational superstars have to deal with, so – But uh,
1: this is the part that was frustrating for me was like, as someone who loves Giannis like that and realizes he's like the best player in the league and is going to be the face of the sport for the next 10 years, like, or five years, at least like seeing that was like, I thought we went through this already. I thought that's what Toronto was for. I thought that's what Miami was for. i am like this, this was it. And then he still had the 42 point game and they never sniffed the lead. And if they can't win that one, like, like if this we talked about like if this series becomes a shootout between like CP3 Booker and Middleton Holiday you fe- you feel good about the you feel good about the Suns chances because those two are better shooters than Middleton and uh and Drew Holiday at least in the mid-range game yeah. where they they kind of live um but the thing that kept bringing me back to Milwaukee was Giannis like he can have those nuclear games and the fact that he had one of those in game 2 and they still like never even sniffed the lead. That one's leading me to think that they're not, they're not going to win this series. Like yeah, if not, they can't
2: get that one, I don't think they can win four out of five. Yeah. And that, that's something that you mentioned last time I was on here is that like, yeah, Giannis can win you one game. And I, for a little bit there in the second half, I was like, okay, maybe this is that one game, but I, I just wish he wasn't at home. So maybe he has another performance even better than this. Cause it's going to have to be better is what it seems unless he gets more support because he, he has to score more, is just what it seems. I, I hate to put that burden on Giannis, but if his teammates aren't scoring, I mean, maybe he'll get some more support next game. Well, no, yeah, the he,
1: answer is they're going to lose. Like, the answer yeah. is if if this is the point, they're going to lose in four or five games, if yeah. that's the support that's going to If
2: not, happen. Giannis has to score 50. <laughs> and, it, yeah. th- and even then, I don't think not put that burden on enough. somebody in the finals.
1: <laughs> even then, that's not going to be enough if the Suns do, and this is the stat I was saving from earlier, if the Suns do what they did before. Because I remember saying... Maybe in two separate comments, but together, like, the Suns' offense feels really sustainable, like, from what they did in game one to game, like, the rest of the games. Like, it didn't feel like that was a weird anomaly of a game. Like, it felt like they could replicate it. And in game one, Aiton Booker and CP3 scored 81 points between the two of them. And in game two, CP3 Booker and Michael Bridges had 81 points between <laughs> the three of them.
2: Wow, that's actually kind of crazy, yeah.
1: So it was literally sustainable. They sustained yeah. it with different star, of course, like Bridges taking over instead of Aiton, but yeah. they literally sustained their offense across two games.
2: Yeah, which as I've mentioned before, is it, it always seems somebody picks up the slack of somebody else and the Bucks don't have that player that's picking up the slack for Drew Holiday, for example.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, if if they – I mean, Drew Holiday and Middleton shoot – I, I know in the first half they're like six for twenty-six from the field, and I think they ended up like two for thirteen from the three-point line. Like, if that's going to be the case, then yeah, that's terrible. No amount, no amount of Giannis points can win you that. Mm. The only way you win that game is if the Suns give it to you by, you know, Devin Booker shooting zero for eight, like he did against yeah. the Clippers in Game
2: Three. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's gonna. If the Bucks keep this up, it's gonna have to take a abysmal performance from the Suns. Yeah, because.
1: As great as Giannis is, and it's the part that keeps bringing me back to them, like, the, the Suns have two, like, really good players. They were all-stars before, but now, like, I don't even know what you would describe it anymore, because these two guys have just been unbelievable. <laughs> They've been unbelievable. Or at least, like I said before, I haven't been watching them closely, but its I did not expect Chris Paul and Devin Booker to be need a bucket, get you a bucket every single time kind of guys. Because we only expect that from like the Kawhis and the James Hardens and the Kevin Durant's of the world.
2: Yeah, and it's nice to have two on the team. <laughs> really? Yeah,
1: and they both did it tonight. Even though, you know, Chris Paul was struggling a little bit out the gate, but
2: still. Yeah. He always it, picked it up second half.
1: Yeah, Chris Paul hit some big shots. Devin Booker was just unconscious, but Chris Paul hit big, timely shots throughout the game.
2: Yeah, and, and it, he's also just drawing attention, which allows for for Bridges to, to cut and be open for three points, which is a, another another reason why Chris Paul is so great at what he does because if he's not scoring, he's still drawing the attention and he can find, find the open man. Game one, it was eight and that was open. This time it was Bridges. Yeah, because they said we're not letting Aiton do that again. We're you know only him and
1: like Wilt Chamberlain and Bill Russell had like twenty points, fifteen rebounds, and shot eighty percent from the field. So they just basically said it's not going to be Aiton, and we're also going to get Aiton in foul trouble. Okay, here's Michael Bridges with jumpers in your mouth.
2: Yeah, and then now they're gonna be like, okay, so now what do we do?
1: Yeah, it's the reason why I had said that even with Giannis like the Bucks, I mean the Suns weren't going to like lay down and die in this series. Like they they were always going to be in it with or without Giannis, but this this has been beyond even my expectations. Like them being able to produce that level of output and consistently hit shots the way they did tonight against like the Bucks at their peak. Like the second half Bucks were the Bucks at their very best peak. And they still – it wasn't enough. When you gave them, like, that 10-point lead when the Bucks had their, you know, terrible start or terrible second quarter, like, even that wasn't enough to beat the Suns. Yeah. And that that makes me feel like you guys you guys got this. I know you won't say it, but I, I think you guys got this.
2: Uh, it, once we win one in Milwaukee, then maybe I'll say it. But before we win a game in Milwaukee, I can't say it. No, and we're expected still... to win these two games. We're expected to win them. Technically, we're expected to win them because we're the home team. We have the home court advantage. So, and we did our job. Now we have to steal one. That's it. That's that's the next thing is to steal one.
1: Yes, and then you can go up three-one and bask in the glory of being up three-one, and <laughs> maybe and clinch one out on it. the home floor. Yes, finish <laughs> yeah. it on the, finish it on the home court. <laughs>
2: that would be great
1: for oh, one. Yeah. So again, you won't say it, but I you got to be feeling good right now. I am again, feeling really good. It's got, it feels sustainable. It feels really sustainable. But also, the Bucks were in this exact position, and, and Kawhi kind of took their soul in yeah. 2019. So and may, the we were up
2: to nothing as well. So.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know what the adjustment is for Milwaukee now. I mean, you can't put Giannis on Devin Booker just because they don't have enough big defense. Like They don't have enough yeah. size to to do that, but... There there are no good answers right now for Milwaukee.
2: <laughs> yes, it's not looking good for them and uh I just wish the next game was two days from now. I don't wanna wait three days. That's you don't wanna wait all the way, kind of way
1: till Sunday to, yes. to see if you can seal your fate.
2: <laughs> yes, I wanna watch it now.
1: <laughs> well i appreciate your time and i i am i am very happy for you because this doesn't happen to teams very often this doesn't happen where uh you get immediate results without even uh without even thinking about how <laughs> without even you know going through the losing or going through the tormenting like your torment was just not making the bubble and not making the playoffs in the bubble like for them yeah. to get to this point is just it's unbelievable. The yeah, Suns I, are I'd rather two lose games there
2: way. than lose in the finals. So hopefully now that we're here, we finish it off and and then I can live the rest of my life happy knowing that the Suns have an NBA championship and yep. I got to witness it. It wasn't before I was born, anything like that.
1: That's that's the one thing I hope for as a Padres fan is that one day I will get to see a championship in my lifetime. Yeah. And uh I, I get to celebrate in the streets of San Diego one of these days. And you're getting that right now as a small market team. That's been terrible for a decade and basically terrible your entire lifetime, except for
2: those two yeah. magical
1: Steve Nash seasons.
2: Yes. Uh, and, and those hurt. Those did hurt. Especially as a little kid, you're like, Oh, some the best and then you end up losing. So.
1: <laughs> well now here you are two games away and I'm feeling pretty confident that yeah. unless they start shooting themselves out of some of these games, I think they can win two out of five the
2: bucks team. I, I do as well. I do as All well. Right.
1: That that is a that is a little bit of confidence I see there. So uh, you are you are feeling yourself a little bit here. I can yes, tell I that. I am keeping <laughs> yeah. my prediction. Sons in four or sons in six still. I'm keeping it the same. But not five. They're not gonna win on nope. the home floor.
2: Not in five. <laughs>
1: not in five. I would probably say five right now. That's where I All would right. lean.
2: But but I'll I also it.
1: I believe in Giannis though. I
2: believe Heck, in Giannis. I'll take seven. Has... <laughs> I just want stuns <laughs> and something.
1: Yes. Yes. And that's where you're at. The only thing keeping me, keeping me connected is Giannis. That's the only thing that keeps me believing in the bucks. Cause otherwise y'all are just playing like amazing basketball. So uh, I almost forgot. Check out house of Phoenix suns on Instagram. Uh, just Check it out. Even if you're not a Suns fan, you can see him bask in the glory of these playoffs and bask in the glory of winning an NBA championship, maybe within the next week or so. So uh, he also does podcasts right after his team wins playoff games, which is kind of remarkable. But you know what? Suns are it's rare that we get these deep playoff runs and we have an an actual expert to analyze the team it's rare that we get those opportunities where friends of the show are total experts on the team yeah i
2: I don't know much about any other team but i i I know a little too much about the Suns.
1: well this is good time to know that when they when they actually matter deep into the playoffs so yeah that is true this is a good way to go about it so Appreciate it, and uh, until we convene again, let let us hope for good fortune for your Phoenix sons.
2: Alright, I hope to talk to you again soon.
0: You see I drive in the paint with my long ass arms and I'm like fuck you I guess the shame from Kawhi wasn't enough, I'm like Fuck you, cause now we got Drew Said if I was better, I'd make a three-pointer But have you seen Chris Middleton? although the heat gon' get swept I wish Jimmy the best Tell him, fuck you ooh, ooh, ooh. Well, I'm sorry about 19 and 20 But that don't mean I can't get you there Cause I'm 26, I got two MVPs the way I play the game ain't fair. I pity the E for not getting James Harden. Shoulda traded Color hero I got locked by BAM Otta by you. I got some news for you. Bryn Forbes hit six threes in game two. You see, I drive in the paint with my long ass arms. I'm like, fuck you. I guess the shame from Kawhi wasn't enough. I'm like, fuck you, because now we got Drew. That if I was better, I'd make a three-pointer. But have you seen Chris Middleton? And although the heat gon' get swept, I wish Jimmy the best. Tell him, fuck you. Ah... Uh.
1: I can always take out my frustrations and anger by playing that magical song to the parody of CeeLo Green that we did back in the first round of the playoffs and uh, clutch my new Zoom Freak 2 shoes and, and hope that Giannis can uh, hopefully get some help and the Bucks have a chance. But as I told our buddy House of Phoenix Suns, which you can, of course, follow with the link in the description of today's episode it is uh, it is a long road upwards to get to that point. And uh, if they don't get some help, there will be no victories for the Milwaukee Bucks. So to finish off the week here on the Take It Easy podcast, by the way, no show on Sunday. We did one last week on the fourth, and uh, we think that the the Sunday episodes in July kind of are down a bit. So we are going to pass on wired up here this week. So we'll be back Monday post game three of the NBA finals. But to wrap up the week, I wanted to continue our conversation from Thursday around the Seahawks and move over towards Russell Wilson a little bit, because you remember back in March or late February when Russell Wilson was getting ready to maybe stage his exit from the Seattle Seahawks. And we did an episode talking about the the dynamic of Russell Wilson, the background of Russell Wilson, um, his, his relationship with Pete Carroll and John Schneider, who have obviously been his coach for his entire career. And one of the things that we talked about in that episode was Russell Wilson kind of driving away the Legion of Boom and Russell Wilson's background and where all of that comes from uh, being obviously a biracial child who came from a father with a Dartmouth education and was a professor. He went to private schools in Virginia that were almost entirely white. And uh, similarly to Kobe Bryant, it's this idea of not knowing exactly where you fit in within cultural America, where you're a black child growing up in a predominantly white area. And Russell Wilson gets to NC State as a baseball player and gets on the football team and ends up dominating at a school where, you know, Philip Rivers once played and they're, they've produced a lot of great white quarterbacks in the NFL in the last 25 years. Uh, again, it's not totally that way, but NC state has had a checkered past as has a lot of the North Carolina area, um, with their basketball stars, especially Duke and NC state. And so Russell Wilson ends up having that success and getting to the NFL and also falling in the draft just because Russell Wilson was short and no like first round talent, but only because of his height, he cleared the way for like Baker Mayfield and uh, Kyler Murray to end up being number one picks in their draft. But what's interesting about Russell Wilson is when you're under contract, as Russell Wilson is in these situations, you're the face of a franchise, entire economies are built around you. The way to get out of that is to make things ugly. You use your leverage to make things ugly with the organization and put pressure on them to make a trade. Make it not worth it for them. And James Harden executed this to perfection. Giancarlo Stanton executed this to perfection. Nolan Arenado executed it to perfection. Um, And Deshaun Watson, prior to his legal ramifications, was was exercising this to perfection. Jalen Ramsey did it with the Rams, all that stuff. So you make things ugly and you can maneuver trades out of bad situations. And not everyone is up for that. For example, Aaron Rodgers is playing the long game right now. Aaron Rodgers is letting public opinion form around him, but ultimately Aaron Rodgers is just killing time in a stalemate that will ultimately come to a head maybe in two weeks when Packers training camp starts or maybe in five weeks, like around week three of the week three of the preseason or maybe it's into week one if he sits out a game which i'm about like 85 percent sure he won't sit out a game but what's interesting about all of this is that aaron Rodgers manufactures and maneuvers different trades in different or i'm sorry aaron Rodgers is manufacturing his exit slowly and russell wilson who's getting ready to manufacture his exit who has A a history, as we've talked about on this podcast, of being corporate Russell Wilson, corporate face, the face of the public face of a billion dollar corporation, and Russell Wilson has done the thing that white quarterbacks across the last twenty five years have done very strategically, and the NFL will fully admit to partaking in this by making those white players the faces of a predominantly black league, as they did with Tom Brady, Peyton Manning. Drew Brees and tried to do with Tim Tebow for a while, but obviously he wasn't that good. And so what's interesting is that Russell Wilson has been the guy who protects the Russell Wilson brand and builds an economy around Russell Wilson. He says nothing interesting. First of all, he's a hall of fame talent. Like we'll make the the hall of fame on the first ballot. He's amazing. Doesn't say anything interesting ever. Has no. I mean, I don't think Russell Wilson has much of a personality. If Mr. Unlimited says anything about him, Russell Wilson doesn't have very much of a personality. But he doesn't have anything interesting to say and doesn't have personality. He's very strategic about what you see. If you follow any of Russell Wilson's social media accounts, it's a lot of traditional values, family values, pictures with Ciara, who her, her, herself has become even a public facing brand where Ciara now becomes an economy around this Russell Wilson, the family that they're building in Seattle and being the face of a corporation and protecting and hinting or posting things that are specifically traditional values and never say anything controversial or anything interesting. And you can create a brand around yourself with lots of opportunities being available, like. J.J. Watt has been doing for the past eight years. J.J. Watt has the nickname of Captain America for that reason. When he signs with the Cardinals, he's going to make a Twitter post about Pat Tillman. Not that it's bad, it's just propaganda. Unfortunately, Pat Tillman has become propaganda. The Walter Payton Man of the Year Award. Ultimately, that award exists to be NFL propaganda. That award was created and continues to exist as NFL propaganda. And the people who win the award end up every year at the Super Bowl with Roger Goodell sitting in his booth with him as propaganda for the NFL. And you look at some of the recent winners of that award. Larry Fitzgerald has been the company man for years across his career. Never says anything interesting. We just know him as an amazing stud wide receiver. J.J. Watt wins the award. And ends up being, you know, public face guy who is the face of subway commercials for the NFL. And J.J. Watt gets a game show on Fox with all of his brothers. Doing ultimate tag like J.J. Watt gets to host game shows with his brother and have subway deals as a result of this economy that's been built around J.J. Watt, who never says anything interesting and protects semi-traditional values like it's not like conservative values like he's very progressive on women on um sorry anti-misogyny and a part of that is that his wife is a nwsl player so he's been very outwardly supportive of causes that matter to him but also there's an economy around this that if you say nothing interesting and nothing too controversial you're gonna be okay or at the very least, move with the trend because obviously corporate justice has now become a thing in the post-George Floyd world where companies make forward-facing fronting, statements about Black Lives Matter and anti-racism and all of these things that don't mean anything because they don't put the actions behind it and often, as NFL owners do, support the wrong causes that work against the things that the the outward facing statements put and the players support in most cases. So anyways, what does this have to do with Russell Wilson? Russell Wilson has very much been that guy and he's, you know, face of Alaska Airlines. Uh he has JBL deals that are na- he has national commercials and Russell Wilson wins Walter Payton Man of the Year in 2020. Um, And the public facing way that he wins that award is by visiting children's hospitals every Tuesday. And while this is an excellent thing, it is also both things don't have to be mutually exclusive. Russell Wilson can be doing great work in the community that is, you know, commended across the board, across the board. Russell Wilson does excellent work that we can commend and at the same time also be used as NFL propaganda and make money from the NFL to, you know, give the NFL public support. And Russell Wilson has built this economy around himself and the Seattle Seahawks across now four to five years, like after the Legion of Boom and Marshawn Lynch left, where they were a no F's given type of team. And we've talked about this before going back to February. The Legion of Boom was a no F's given team. Richard Sherman, Cam Chancellor, Earl Thomas, they were a like eat or be eaten kind of team. And that and Marshawn Lynch is obviously the ultimate guy who's super popular eat or be eaten kind of player. And that defense reflected that like scrappiness and everyone was a fourth round pick, even though they weren't all fourth round picks kind of idea. And so what's fascinating for the Seattle Seahawks was that they flipped as soon as Russell Wilson got the contract. Now he's face of a corporation. Now he's NFL royalty, first ballot Hall of Famer, and he's going to be face of a corporation the same way Tom Brady was, the same way Drew Brees was, the same way Peyton Manning was, and still is, because Peyton Manning is still out here getting college bowl TV shows on NBC, and he's doing like TV shows on ESPN Plus that are paid for by the NFL. They are propaganda machines for the NFL. So... These guys who get all of those benefits and get to be the outward facing guys who never say anything interesting because it protects an economy the same way Tiger Woods did back in the 2000s. But once it realized that it was all a lie, people felt they had been deceived and lied to and made Tiger Woods the most hated man in America for about a year, which was totally unfair to Tiger Woods. But people felt they had been lied to. And Russell Wilson has built this economy around himself for four years by being very strategic about what you know about his life and never saying anything interesting while also being Hall of Fame great at football. And the very second that Russell Wilson was pressed when he, you know, in in a week span went from saying like he does not slip up, like he has literally he pays a coach hundreds of thousands of dollars to train him to say things that are uninteresting. It's a really fascinating science that uh, I forgot the article from five months ago, but credit to them (laughs) for putting this forward. Like Russell Wilson literally has coaches that train him to say nothing interesting. Tom Brady has it. Drew Brees has it. All of these people say, try have coaches that train them to say the most basic bland answers and not be controversial. Russell Wilson says he's unhappy with his offensive line on Dan Patrick which was very clearly strategic. And then Russell Wilson's agent, which basically means Russell Wilson says through his agent to Adam Schefter, Adam Schefter of all people, which by the way, Adam Schefter is also a propaganda machine for the NFL. But that's another thing where newsbreakers that are employed by NFL partners end up by default, not being journalists, but being propaganda for the NFL. Hence the fact that Uh, Adam Schefter was retweeting Tom Brady tweets about tequila and throwing the Stanley cup today. Like that's just genuinely not interesting, but it's propaganda for the NFL. Um, what's interesting is that the very second Russell Wilson. So Russell Wilson within a week has that moment of slip up or not moment of slip up strategically says unhappy with the offensive line. And when there's talks about him, like wanting to go to the jets and wanting to go to the dolphins, through his agent, says to Adam Schefter, no, here's the four teams I'd like to go to. The Bears, the Saints, the Raiders, and uh, I forgot who the last team was, but it's not important to this story. What is important is Russell Wilson was straight. Russell Wilson was straight to the point with those teams. I'm sorry, with the NFL and with the Seahawks. Like, I am unhappy with the way that this is going. And Russell Wilson was very much... It looked like ready to step up and maybe make things ugly to voice his frustrations with Seattle and really just more apathy than frustrations. Like, it's not like Seattle's been bad. We talked yesterday. They have won 65 games in six years. They've been they've had more wins than any team that hasn't made a conference championship game by a significant margin, like by like, I think it was like 16 more games than third place. The Ravens were also in there, but the Ravens blew a game to the Titans in 2019. They should have been in the conference finals, but it's like a significant margin of not making the conference finals. And they've had success, but they've kind of been the same team for like six years. So it's more apathy building up, I think, than anything else. And this was the point that I took 15 minutes to get to while explaining backgrounds and all of that. The very second that Russell Wilson was pressed, he folded. The very second he was pressed on this idea, he folded and went back to corporate Russell Wilson, which is understandable. I would probably make the same decision in his camp, but he, it looked like he was ready to make a move up from the Seattle Seahawks, and the very second it got to him, he folded. And that was disappointing to see now looking back and seeing that he, you know, at a press conference, walked up to beat Carroll and said, everyone thinks that we hate each other, but we are so happy to be here. And it's like, oh, he went right back to propaganda machine after his little flirtation with, hey, maybe I could leave or maybe the Seahawks could I could pressure them to make some moves, realizing that his options were just make things ugly and, you know, what? for whatever reasons, Russell Wilson maybe wanted. it. Maybe Russell Wilson was tired of being in that position. Maybe Russell Wilson wanted to have a little more personality. Maybe Russell Wilson wanted to enter the next stage of his career with a better chance to win a Super Bowl, whatever the chance, whatever the reasons may be that are personal to Russell Wilson that we have no idea. Those are just speculative reasons like no idea why Russell Wilson would have wanted to leave the Seahawks at this time, particularly whether it's legacy or whatever else we can speculate his his only way to do it was to make things ugly and blow up the previous version of himself for a new version of himself and the second that that reality started to set in he folded and went back to being corporate russell wilson for the foreseeable future and that is a little bit disappointing considering only that he gave us a taste he gave us a taste that he was going to be interesting that he was going to be willing to blow things up in seattle because hey things maybe aren't as merry as I've been portraying for the last five years. Hey, maybe I just won Walter Payton Man of the Year, but also I'm willing to be the bad guy. I'm willing to be the villain in this story in order to execute a trade from the Seahawks. He gave us a little taste of it. He teased us with it. He put out the four teams that he would want to go to in a trade, even though he doesn't have a no trade clause. Maybe he does have a no trade clause, but I don't think he has a no trade clause. Anyways, he teased us with it. And then he folded and I just felt kind of disappointed once I I came to that reality uh, just yesterday talking about it and talking about it a little bit on radio. So that's how I'm feeling about Russell Wilson here on the Take It Easy podcast. But with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for an amazing, fantabulous week. I've been so, so happy with the support that those who have stuck around through the long haul of the NFL offseason and some basketball centric stuff have done for us it is so appreciative the support has been unreal and and thank you to everyone throughout this great week again we will be off on sunday and we'll be back at it after game three on monday where the suns might just be closing out a series so again thanks everyone in the meantime download rate all that good stuff it is it is so so appreciative thank you everybody and as always take it easy. Have a great weekend, everybody, and we will talk to you again on Monday.